you're new with us today, we changed our name a couple weeks ago. Uh, we, we grew up as Resonance Church, and, uh, and we changed our name to Free People Church a few weeks ago. If, if you're new with us, go back and watch that message where I explain that. You can check that out. Um, it's, it's been a journey, but we're so excited about who we are as a church family and, and why God did this and, and our new name. And so today I want to take today as well as I have the last few weeks and talk more about who are the free people? What does it mean to be free in Christ and, and really establish us in our freedom and in our identity as free people? As I said last week, whew, free people is a big name to live up to. That is a mantle to carry. And uh, freedom was Jesus's mission. It was his mandate. In Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, He's preaching his first sermon in his hometown. He's just starting his ministry. He opens the scroll to the place in Isaiah where it says this in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he got done and he sat down. And he said, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today, this very day. He said, he has sent me. The father has sent me, Jesus, to proclaim freedom and to set captives free. Freedom was Jesus' mission and mandate. It's what the gospel is all about. Galatians 5 verse 1, Paul says, it's for freedom Christ has set you free. Galatians 5 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Romans 8 2. The law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. First Peter 2, 16, live as free people. Could it get more clear to us how important our freedom is to God? It's why Jesus came. Free people, it's who we are, it's what we do. It's our identity and it's our mission. And so today what I wanna do is talk about our unique DNA our unique DNA as a church. Um, every person is made in the image of God, right? But we're all unique. Our fingerprints are unique. You are the only you that has ever existed. And so you're a unique expression of who God is. You reveal God in a different way that no one else on earth has ever revealed God. And therefore, every church family is unique because every church family, every local church is made up of unique individuals. And so I wanna talk about our unique identity as a church, our unique DNA. And I wanna do that by talking about five axioms of our identity. And then I wanna talk about three components of our culture. Five axioms of our identity as Free People Church, three components of our culture. I wanna talk about our identity. And the reason I want to talk about our identity is so often in religion, religion is like what you do for God, right? So often we want to talk about what we do. What's God calling us to do? He's calling us to free people. We got to free people. We got to do it. We got to do the work. We got to do the work of the ministry. What do we do at church? What do I do at home? What am I supposed to do in my workplace? What am I supposed to do with my life, right? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What I've learned in life is that what we're called to do flows out of who we are. And if you don't get that right, if you get that backwards, you fall into a performance trap and you start doing, 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 doing to try to earn what God has already done for you. You start doing, doing, doing to try to prove who you are. Go read the temptations of Jesus in Matthew 4, Luke 4. There were three different temptations, weren't there? Did you know they were all about the same thing? If you are the son of God, prove it. Prove who you are by what you can do. The temptation of Jesus. And he didn't. He said, man shall not live on bread alone. And he quoted the scriptures. Why? He didn't have to prove who he was because he knew who he was. And everything Jesus did flowed out of who he knew he was in God the Father and who God the Father was in him. And so if we're gonna do what God's called us to do, we have to know who we are, amen? So I wanna talk about five axioms of our identity and I'm gonna tell them to you right up front and then we'll walk through them one by one. These, this is like the core values of our church, right? Because our values are in who we are in Christ 
And everything else will flow out of that, okay? So number one, we're people of the word. We're people of the spirit. We're people of one another. We're people of the kingdom. And we are people for the world. If you want to know who the free people are, what makes what does what do free people look like? Who who are they? What what is our DNA? It's these five things. So let's talk about it. Number one, we are people of the word. Scripture says that God literally spoke the world into existence. And scripture says that now faith, our rebirth in Christ, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we're, we were born by the word of God and we're reborn by the word of Jesus. So we're literally people of the word. Jesus is the word made flesh who made his dwelling among us. And when Jesus was here on this earth, he confirmed that the Old Testament scriptures were the word of God. And then he spoke his word, which was the continuation of the revelation of God to his original disciples. They wrote that down. That's what we call the apostles doctrine, which by the way, is the New Testament of the Bible. You put those two things together. We have the canon of scripture that we've come to call the Bible. The Bible's not just a book. It stands alone in historical documents. It stands alone in, in uh, religious documents. It's not just a book. It's a library of books written over written by over 40 different authors over a period of about 1400 years across three different continents in three different languages, yet it tells one comprehensive story from beginning to end. No other religious text can compare to it. No other historical text can compare to it. It truly is a treasure. And the Bible is God revealing himself to mankind. You have the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, the whole Bible is God revealing who he is. You see, we don't get to define who God is. We can only discover it. If you try to define who God is, define morality, define who you want God to be, that's how you end up making a golden calf and calling it Jesus and think you're worshiping Jesus, but it's really a golden calf, right? And so the scriptures reveal to us who God is. The, the Bible is our authority, it is God's authoritative word. It's our rule of life. It's the ultimate source of truth and discernment. It is our foundation and guardrails and test for when we test the spirits because the spirit of God will never disagree with the written word of God. Can I get a good amen? Right, we live in a world where there are spirits. Scripture talks about this, your spirit, demonic spirits, angelic spirits, the Holy Spirit of God. Sometimes it's difficult to discern, is God leading me to do this or is this something else? Who is thankful that we have God's word in black and white when we're not sure and we can go read it and go, oh, things just got a lot more clear. Now I know what to do. Now I know what is right. Now I know how to live my life. Amen? It's the word of God. We're people of the word. The word is our foundation. The word is our foundation. Man, we're a, we're a modern church, meaning that we, we want to do ministry in a modern context using modern language, you know, modern music. This the, the, why do we do the music? It's just the language of our culture, right? Culture changes, methods change, but, but at, the heart, at the core, at the heart, at the foundation, we're just a good old-fashioned Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Can I get a good amen? Oh, I love the word of God. We're people of the word, people of the word. Number two, we're people of the spirit. <sighs> to believe in Jesus, he said it's like being reborn. It's a spiritual rebirth. I would challenge you to read your New Testament, starting with Matthew, and see how often Jesus talked about and the disciples talked about the Holy Spirit, especially the book of Acts after Pentecost. Just see how often the Holy Spirit shows up in there. Jesus said, my words are spirit and the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The biggest thing that our church will probably ever get criticized for by other Christians is our belief, experience, and practice of uh, the Holy Spirit and his presence and his gifts. Um, if we are people of the word, I want you to hear me. And if you're, if, if you're new to church, I want you to hear me. But especially if you grew up in church and a church that didn't talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit, I want you to hear me. If we are people of the word, 
we will be people of the Spirit. Listen, because the Word testifies, Ephesians 5.18, we should be constantly being filled with the Spirit of God. What's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Hmm, that's interesting. The Word testifies we should live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5.25. Pray at all times in the Spirit, Ephesians 6.18. That each person is, is given a manifestation of the Spirit, a gift of the Spirit is given for the common good, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, and that therefore each of us should use whatever gift we've received from the Spirit. It's not talking about natural talents and abilities, the gifts of the Spirit, to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace, His grace gifts, His charisma gifts, in its various forms. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Direct quote from Jesus that's written in red. Holy Spirit will speak to you. He's our advocate, counselor, guide, source of gifts, power, and life. And so one of our main spiritual practices as free people and as free people church in our individual lives and as a church family is to seek to listen to God's voice and hear what the Spirit is saying because we have the written word of God, that's the Logos word, but we need to hear the rhema word, the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's why in Revelation it says Jesus is speaking, but he's like, I want you to hear what the Spirit is saying. Because we've got the written word, but the Spirit interprets it for us. The Spirit applies it to us, doesn't he? Amen. Philippians, well, let me say it this way. We are a church family that is absolutely, utterly dependent on the Spirit of God. We're dependent on the Spirit of God. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who moves in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. So we believe as a church that the rebirth of the Spirit is the essence of salvation. The indwelling is necessary for life change. The baptism of the Spirit is essential for power and gifts to be His witnesses, to experience His fullness, and to fulfill our callings in Christ. And so let me tell you some theology of Free People Church. We're laying a foundation today. We are a church that believes in and seeks the baptism of the Holy Spirit, also called the filling of the Holy Spirit, can absolutely happen at salvation. Oftentimes it happens after salvation. And there's not just one baptism or filling. There's, there's many fillings. You can be filled with the Spirit many times. Just go read the book of Acts. By the way, anything I say, go check Scripture. See if I'm wrong. If you think I'm wrong, let me know. And if I'm wrong, I'll change what I preach. Is that a deal? So we believe in and seek the baptism or filling of the Spirit. We seek to utilize all the spiritual gifts mentioned in Scripture. We believe in and practice, therefore, healing and prophecy and miracles and tongues. We don't treat these things with contempt or forbid them. Rather, we cherish them for the precious gifts of the gift, God's Holy Spirit, because we would never want to quench the Spirit as a church. Because again, the Word tells us not to. For people of the Word, we will be people of the Spirit. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It causes you to listen to His Word. But the fear of the Holy Spirit is the beginning of bondage. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where you quench what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, when you're like, oh, I don't, I'm kind of scared of that Holy Spirit, and I don't want those gifts, and I'm not sure about tongues, and I'm not sure about prophecy, and I'm not sure about this, and I'm not sure about that, because I'm not sure, because I'm really processing Scripture through my atheistic worldview that I grew up in. You quench what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. You know what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you? Set you free into the freedom of God. So we are a church that is absolutely and utterly dependent on the Spirit of God in our leadership, in our living, and therefore we're a people who is constantly at prayer to stay in loving union with Him. It's what we call the practice of the presence of God, not only in our worship services, but in our homes and in our prayer closets. You know, the, down through the ages, the monks... And then the, the Cath, our, our Catholic brothers and sisters, even today, the Jesuits, they, they focus a lot on what they would call the, 
contemplative graces. The contemplative spirituality, communing with God in spirit. Oh, it's so important. It's the Holy Spirit hearing his voice. Deeply rooted in God in your inner life. And then stereotypically, you got the Pentecostals who are the expressive ones who let it out. Woo! Let's prophesy. Let's speak in tongues. Woo! And I'm here to tell you, time is coming and has now come. God is bringing his church together as one. And we need to be deeply rooted and cherish our Catholic universal church heritage but we need to cherish the outpouring of the spirit rediscovering reformation and the outpouring of the spirit we need the deep inner work the contemplative communion with the spirit through prayer listening prayer hearing his voice and then we are called to let it out we are told to prophesy we are told to use the gifts and we dare not quench it that's who we are we're people of the spirit. Number three, we are people of one another. We are not to do, to do life alone. We are created for community. In Genesis chapter two, before the fall of man, in Genesis chapter two, everything was very good, God said. But he said there's one thing that's not good, and that's before sin entered the picture. He said it's not good, Genesis 2.18, for the man to be alone. So he created a helper suitable for him, a woman. They created the first family and out of family comes community and out of community comes society and out of society comes nations. We were designed and wired and created by God to live in community. Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one. They have a good return for their labor. In your work, it's better. If either of them falls down, the other one can help the other up. You got a helper, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Pity the people who live in life on their own. Verse 12, the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. It's good to defend yourself, to have more people in your life. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Three are better than two even. Let me tell you something that our culture desperately needs to hear. Our faith is deeply personal, but it was never meant to be private. The Christian faith in scripture is more communal than individual. Go read the Bible and tell me I'm wrong, right? I, I'm like, whenever I say that, I feel like I'm that guy at the lemonade stand with the, with the signs, like, prove me wrong. You know, the little memes and they fill in the blank. It's like, Taco Bell is terrible. Prove me wrong. Like, you know, like, sorry, Taco Bell. But anyways, <laughs> prove me wrong. In scripture, somebody loves Taco Bell. Pray, pray for her. But you can be wrong. It's fine. <laughs> Let's move on. All right. Pastor and author Richard Lewis. <laughs> Taco Bell's all right. All right. Pastor and author Rich Velotis. It says it this way, the Bible, meaning how it speaks about the Christian faith, is more communal than individual. Jesus teaches us to pray our Father, not my Father. Paul uses the phrase our Lord 53 times in Scripture and my Lord only one time. The phrase Jesus is my personal Savior is not found in Scripture. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying the, the way Scripture paints our faith is more communal, shared experience than being on your own. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I'm there. If two of you agree on anything, oh, I'm going to do it. Wow. Jesus sent them out two by two. We're not meant to do life on our own. Acts chapter 2, that 42 through 47, the famous passage that every pastor is like, this is what it means to be a church. Three different times in those few verses, it says the word together. All the believers were together and had everything in common, verse 44. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, verse 46. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere 
hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Romans 12, 5. So in Christ, we, though many, we form one body and each member belongs to all the others. You belong to me. And I belong to you. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, therefore out of all this, we should not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit for ourselves only. Do nothing for yourself only. (laughs) What an affront to the self-love, self-gospel that is preached in our culture. You got to take care of yourself, self-love, you know? Love you. That's your problem. You don't love you. I think your problem is you don't love God. And the biggest revelation you need is to know that God loves you. That'll change your life. Do nothing for yourself only. Selfish ambition, self, vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Hebrews 10, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I could go on and on all day about Bible verses that talk about we need to be together. There's power in community. We're called to community. We're created for community, but community doesn't happen on its own own especially in our culture you have to be intentional about it and so we are a church that is of one another we belong to each other you can't fulfill your calling in life for God without me and I can't fulfill my calling in life for Jesus without you because we're meant to do it together so we are a people that is of one Another, which brings me to number four, we are people of the kingdom. We're of Jesus, right? And we're not just of free people church. When we go do things out in the world, in the community, we're not just doing them in the name of free people church to get people to come to free people church. That is not the goal. The goal is to get people to connected to Jesus The goal is to bring the kingdom of God to them. The kingdom is the rule and reign of Jesus, the king, to people, to bring his culture to people. And we are not so arrogant at Free People Church that we think we have the market cornered on Christianity. Right? We know that in this community even, we're just joining a whole lot of uh, other churches that are doing God's work. We just started eight years ago. Some of them were started probably hundreds of years ago. (laughs) We're just joining what God's been doing in this community for a long time, let alone across the world. And I'm here to tell you the kingdom church of Jesus Christ is much, much bigger than our church. And it's much, much bigger than the denomination you grew up in. It's much bigger than the, the qualifier on the church sign, Baptist, Wesleyan, Right? If a church claims Jesus as Lord and the scriptures as their authority, they're in the kingdom. Let God sort them out in the end, right? But we consider them brothers and sisters, Catholic or Protestant, right? Some of you are like, oh, I can't believe you say that about Catholics. Oh, they, they, they pray to Mary. They do all this stuff. I disagree with it. I do too. And they would look at a lot of stuff we do and go, I disagree with that, that, and that. And they might be right. You know, every church thinks they're the most right. Especially a new church plant like us. You know why? Because if we, were, we thought we were wrong in something, we would just change it. And every other church thinks that way. And I'm telling you, if we focus on our differences, we'll be divided till Jesus comes back. 
But the church of Jesus will not be divided till Jesus comes back. You know why? Because Jesus prayed in John 17. I don't just pray for my disciples here. I pray for everyone who will believe in me after them. And you know what he prayed for them? I pray that God, Father, you would make them one. It's like Jesus kind of knew prophetically division was going to be a problem in the years to come. So his main prayer was, I pray you would make them one. I pray that you would make them one. And let me tell you something. Sometimes you or I, we don't get what we pray for, right? Right? Jesus always gets what he prays for. So the church of Jesus Christ will become one. And we're part of the kingdom church of Jesus. Amen? Mark 9, 38 through 40, Jesus has just humbled his disciples They were arguing about who was the, they couldn't drive out a demon. This is the context. Couldn't drive out a demon. They were asking him about it. Then he, then they are arguing about who's the greatest after they had a failure. I'm thinking Peter, James, and John weren't there when they couldn't drive out the demon. So I'm thinking it went something like, Peter was like, if I was there, I'll tell you, I would have got that demon out. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) And Andrew was like, shut up, Peter. You know, you think you're so great. And then they just start arguing. And Jesus humbles them. And he says, you'll never enter the kingdom unless you do it like a child. And by the way, let me tell you who's the greatest. The servant among you is the greatest of all. That's, that's who's the greatest, the servant. So they get super humbled. They're like, oh. And then... And then this verse comes next. And I believe John has an epiphany. He goes, oh, we're idiots. Oh. And he says this, teacher, uh uh-oh. We saw someone driving out demons in your name. Notice they were being successful. These people were driving them out. It was working, apparently. And we told them to stop. Why? Because he wasn't one of us. Boy, if, if anybody had a right to corner the market on Christianity, you would think it would be the original 12 disciples of Jesus. What did Jesus say? Verse 39, do not stop him. For one, no one who does a miracle in my name, by the way, he considers driving out demons a miracle. I think there were about a dozen miracles in our church family this past week. Probably more than that. I'm not kidding. There were over a dozen deliverance sessions from our ministry team this past week. So that's pretty cool. Some of them were major manifestations. Like people with demons. And the demons were doing things. And we told them to shut up and get out. And they did. So it was pretty awesome. Where was I? For whoever is not against us is for us. Jesus said, for whoever is not against us is for us. Jesus setting the stage for kingdom theology way before Pentecost even. And isn't it so often in our day and age, false teacher, false prophet, false why? Because they don't do the baptism right and they don't preach the gospel enough and they don't do this and they don't believe in the Holy Spirit the right way. So they're all going to hell and we're the only ones who are right. The original 12 somebody saw somebody doing ministry, told them to stop. Why? Because you're not one of us. You weren't a part of the original church. The original 12 followers of Jesus. You want to talk about apostolic doctrine. <laughs> These were the apostles. And Jesus goes, oh, don't stop them. Somewhere along the line, they heard about me. They believed in me. They're believers. They're doing ministry in my name and all By the way, they're being successful where you failed. So because of your pride and jealousy, you tell them to stop because they can do things that you can't do. But Jesus says, I view that as a strength. Maybe not every church is supposed to be the same. Maybe we have different strengths and weaknesses. So maybe it's good there's a diversity. Wow. Isn't that cool? Whoever's not against us is for us. What's he saying there? He's saying hashtag same team. Look at your neighbor and tell him same team. Same team. What about those Presbyterians? Same team. Wesleyans, same team. Baptists, same team. Southern Baptists, same team. 
Indy Fundy Baptist? Same team. What about the old regular Baptist? That's an actual denomination. You can go Google it. The old regular Baptist. <laughs> Same team. What about the Catholics? Same team. What about the crazy Pentecostals? They're weird. You've got a crazy weird uncle and he's not even a believer. He's in your family, isn't he? Same team. Same team. Every believer is responsible to follow Jesus according to their conscience, and they're going to do that differently, aren't we? Go read Romans 14, and we shouldn't judge each other on that. That's what Romans 14 is about. How much more individual churches. And so we seek to be a kingdom church, to believe in, partner with, bless, and encourage all the other churches in our area and across the world. Amen? Number five, we are people for the world. So notice we're of the word, of the spirit, of one another, of the kingdom. We're for the world. Jesus said in John 17, my prayer is not that you would take my people, my believers out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus was not of the world, but he was in the world. So we're in the world, but we're not of it. We're not of the world, but we are for the world. Why? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus loves the world. When the scripture says don't love the world or anything in the world, it's talking about the things of the world, the things of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the sin. It's talking about that. It's not talking about people. And when God so loved the world, he loved the people. And so we are for the world. Think about this. Baseball is, I think, the only sport or one of the only sports where the defense has possession of the ball. Right? The defense has possession of the ball. All the non-sport people are like, who cares who has possession of the ball? <laughs> I can feel it. I feel your judgment. Christianity is the only organization in history that exists for people who aren't yet a part of it. Your family, who do you work and slave away for all through the week? For your family. Who do we work and serve in Christianity for? God, right? But for people who don't know him yet. We are people who are for the world. Why? 1 Timothy 2, 4, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. If you've ever wondered God's will about someone in your life, especially the people that hate you, that are jerks, that are really immoral, evil people, What's God's will for them? You read the Psalms, you start to question. Uh, break the teeth of the wicked, God. Smash their heads, like destroy them. And may their place be remembered no more and their children be fatherless. And you know, you're just like, ooh. But anybody ever been tempted though to pray some of that? Like I'll pray the will, oh, I'll pray the word of God, all right. What's God's will for my boss that's a jerk and totally evil and curses me all the time and, it's 1 Timothy 2, 4. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. But what's God's will for Muslim extremists, terrorists? Um, it's not that we kill them. It's, it's, it's that he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. What's God's will for the LGBTQ community? Uh, it's that uh, he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We are for the world. We are for people. This is who we are. This is our identity. And so important. The things we do as a church will flow out of these five things, this foundation right here. These are the axioms of our identity. We're people of the word, of the spirit, of one another, of the kingdom, and for the world. Three components of our culture. You've probably heard me say this. I want to say them all together. And, and it's important, I'll say it this way, the power is when you do these things together. 
If you have one component of this culture, a lot of churches have one or two of these components, and it's all right. The power is when you're all three of these things at the same time. Three components of our culture as a church. We are unconditional in love, uncompromising in truth, and undeniably full of the Holy Spirit. And anywhere we're falling short in those, we seek to get back to that culture right there. The power is in all three together. What do I mean by that? Anybody ever ate a raw egg? Some of you guys, admit it, you were working out. You saw Arnold used to do it. You tried it, you're like, never again. Got salmonella, almost died, never again, right? Eggs are okay. Even if you cook one by itself, it's all right. You ever eat sugar? I, I'm gonna confess, I have been known to, when I'm hungry, waiting at a restaurant, to down a sugar packet or two, just while I'm waiting. <laughs> sugar on its own, it's okay, it's all right. One time, my kids, we were all at the Mexican place a few years ago, and they were, this guy walks by, he goes, oh, excuse me, are those your children? Turn around. My kids are on, they were dumping sugar on the ground and then eating it off the ground. I was like, those are, I don't know whose kids those are. (laughs) Sugar by itself, it's okay. Eggs by itself, it's okay. Butter by itself. Anybody ever eat butter by itself? I I have, it's all right, it's pretty good. It's all right though. But if you you mix sugar, butter, and eggs, you know that's the basis of like cake and cookies? The power is when you combine them, all right? So keep that in mind. We're unconditional in our love. We love people with no strings attached. Whether you believe in God or not, we love you. We'll try to help you serve you any way we can. We'll pray for you. Whatever you need, we'll try to help you with it. No matter who you are, whether you believe in God or not, doesn't matter. Anybody and everybody is welcome to come to church here to to darken our doors. No matter what you believe, no matter what you were doing last night, no matter if you got tattoos all over your... If a lesbian, a Muslim imam, a transgender person, and a skinhead neo-Nazi all carpooled here for a Sunday morning... Let me tell you what happened to them. They would be, well, we say, hey, welcome to church. Have a seat. I like it better towards the front, super loud, which is how I like it. But if you sit in the back, it's a little quieter. That's what would happen to them. Because we want to welcome everyone with open arms to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to serve people. When we serve people, when we give to people, when we do charity and benevolence and and all of that, We just do it for people. We just help people. We don't ask if they're a believer. When we pray for people, we don't ask, do you believe in Jesus? I'm not praying for you to be healed if you don't believe in Jesus. No, we don't do that. I just pray for you. Just bless you. Why? Because God sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We love everybody. We're unconditional. No strings attached. Jesus said, love your enemies. How much more should we love everyone else? But remember the power is when you combine them. So we're unconditional in love but we are uncompromising when it comes to truth. So we love everybody, but because we truly love people, we will tell them the truth and we will do it in a loving, kind, compassionate, respectful way. Jesus loved everybody, but he never compromised truth. He told the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you but go and sin no more. He told the man who had been sick 38 years after Jesus healed him, he said, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. He told his disciples, don't fear those who can kill your body and after that do nothing to you. Rather fear the one who can kill your body and after throw your soul into hell. Speaking of himself, Jesus pulled no punches when it came to truth. And yes, he hung out with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, the worst of the worst. Why? Because the sick need a hospital, the sick need a physician, but he didn't coddle their sin 
and, and say, I affirm your sin and you're great, you're good to go. No, he, he loved them, he hung out with them, but he called them to life change. He called them to repentance. He called them to believe in him and by believing in him and by the grace he bestowed on them, they could change and they did change. And so we love everybody, we're unconditional love, but we are uncompromising when it comes to truth. And that is something that the church in America in this day and age needs to wake up on. And that's why America's in trouble because the, the faith is in trouble in America. And the faith is in trouble because the church in America has compromised truth. We've tried to win culture by being like culture. But how can we be light if we agree with the darkness? How can we be salt if we've lost our saltiness? And so we can't compromise truth as we're loving people. We unconditional love, uncompromising in truth, and we are undeniably full of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 4.20, Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. First Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We seek to live out spiritual gifts, to call upon the name of the Lord, to see people saved, to see people healed, to see people set free from all kinds of things, depression, anxiety, fear, anger, suicidal thoughts, and we have seen it time and time again. And man, if I just told you stories from the last week or two, you would know this is a church that is undeniably full of the Holy Spirit. And if it ever becomes apparent that we're not undeniable, if it's ever not undeniable that we're full of the Spirit, then we get back on our faces, we get back in the upper room, and we seek His presence until it is undeniable. Amen? That's who we are. So to sum it up, we're people of the Word, people of the Spirit, people of one another, people of the kingdom, people for the world who are unconditional in love, uncompromising in truth, and undeniably full of the Holy Spirit. We're free people. It's who we are. It's what we do. Amen? I want to close today with a few stories in light of who we are as free people. The first one I wanted to tell you about is about this family from Pakistan named Shara, Fat, and Nazreen. This is, I think we have a picture of them. This is them and their three children. Uh, we give every month some of our income to a ministry called Do Good Missions uh, that was started by Eric Newberry, uh, who's preached here, friend of our church, preached here before. And they help set families free in Pakistan who are in slavery. And this is Sherifat and Nazreen, they're, they're Eyes are blanked out for second service when we stream it so that we're not supposed to show their full identities and stuff for the sake of their protection. Uh, Christians are severely persecuted in Pakistan. They have three children, Samina, Bina, and Shahzad. There we go. 19 years ago, Sharifat's father was having heart problems. Sharifat took a loan for $75 for his father's medical bills his father passed away, and they were left with the loan. The kiln owner, brick kiln owner, uh, that's who he owed it to, pressured them to leave Christianity. So they're like indentured servants, right? And then they basically became slaves. He owns them till they pay off their debt. The problem is they have living expenses. They can never pay off their debt by the work that they do. So for 19 years, they've been in slavery. He has made their lives difficult because they refuse to give up Christ. Sherifat's debt payoff Today was approximately $1,780, and I got word a little over a month ago, actually a couple months ago now, um, that our giving set this family free. And so recently, thanks to your generosity, the giving of free people, church, Sherifat and Nazreen and their kids are now free people. Free people, it's who we are, it's what we do. This is now the second family in the last six months or so that we have set free um, in Pakistan, literally setting people free, so awesome. I wanna tell you about another cool story that's happening 
Um, we've always partnered with Compassion International as a church, um, sponsoring kids through Compassion and through monthly giving, about $38 a month. You provide a child uh, with food, water, um, clothing, education, and then teaching about Jesus. It's a phenomenal ministry. And uh, we've always done that as a church. My wife and I sponsor two kids right now. And you get to write letters to them and build a relationship, pray for them. It's amazing. I got to travel to Guatemala. Here we go. Uh, A few years ago. And I met one of the kids we sponsor there. And uh, little little Anderson, uh, Isaac, and uh, just an amazing kid. And it's an amazing ministry. And their, their motto is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Setting children free from poverty in Jesus' name, right? And so I've stayed connected with this ministry in, in this past year. Uh, many of you know we're in a building project right now, right? And we're seeking to raise like millions of dollars to build a multi-million dollar facility on the land that we recently purchased. And I was talking to our, uh, the, one of, this guy I know that's with Compassion. And we were talking about that. And, and I was like, man, we haven't done a Compassion Day in a while. And I was wanting to do another one. But I was like, do you have any projects going on? And he goes, you know, actually, we have a, we're wanting to start a whole new center in Guatemala uh, where you traveled a few years ago. And I was like, oh, really? Tell me about that. And, man, we're, we're a church plant. We, you know, we're entrepreneurial. We love helping start new things, right? And, and he tells me about He said, yeah, when you start a new center, it's, it's between twenty-five dollars to $30,000 to start a new one. But that will provide 100 to 150 new kids getting sponsored right off the bat. And then as it grows, even more. And I was like, ooh, that sounds awesome. And I was thinking about that. And, and I told him what I ended up telling our leadership team. I said, guys, I know we, like, need millions of dollars right now as a church. But the kingdom principles work differently than worldly principles. And I never want us to lose our heart of generosity just because we need a lot of money right now. And so we, we had a lot of opportunities to be generous in different ways, and this was one of them. And, and so we were like, what if we gave money to help start this thing? And um, so back when we were buying our land, um, a cool thing happened. Um, we were seeking to buy the land, and a guy here has a friend that's a realtor. And uh, he was just telling him about our land, and, and his friend, uh, whose name's Grant, he said, uh, would you guys, does your church have a realtor? And he said, no, I don't think so. We're just getting started. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, if they want to buy this land, I'll be the realtor. I'll help them get it done. And I'll donate my fee back to the church. Now you have to understand it's a 3% fee on $555,000 and some change is over $15,000 that he was offering to to do this. Um, And so I heard about this. I said, you know, absolutely. You can be our realtor. Uh, That would be amazing. Sign us up. And so uh, his name is Grant McIntosh. He's actually here today. I didn't know you would be here today, Grant. I had no idea. And I looked up right before we started. I was like, oh, my goodness, Grant's here today. That's amazing. I plan on telling the story. So this is a picture of us signing the, the documents for the land. That's Grant on your left. Uh, he's a part of Wilson Realtors. They did not ask us to do that. It wasn't like, hey, if you promote us, I'll do that. No. I'm just giving them a shout out because of how they blessed our church, how Grant blessed our church and his, his office over there uh, went along with it uh, for him. And, uh, and so he donated over $15,000 back to our church and our leadership. That's like money that's not in our budget anywhere, right? So it's surplus funds now. And we're like, man, that's, that's almost a, that is basically a tithe on uh, or the same amount as a tithe on our first fruits offering. We're like, man, that's kind of interesting, but it's surplus. It wasn't part of the building fund or anything. And, and we said, well, what if we just took money from our savings to finish it off? And we used that 15,000 and gave from our savings to give $29,000 to start a new compassion center in Guatemala. And our leadership team was like, let's do it. And so we're doing it. And we already wired the money. And so, Grant, I didn't know you were going to be here today, but I want you to know that you're helping start a compassion center where about 150 kids are going to have food, water, clothing, teaching about Jesus, and education. And uh, it's awesome. So thank you, man, for, for being willing to do that. We're setting these kids free from poverty. And then uh, guess who gets first dibs on sponsoring them? Our church family. And we're really hopeful that we can sponsor a lot of these kids individually. 
and we're hopeful that maybe in a year or two, we could do a trip down there to the center we started to meet the kids we sponsor. How cool would that be? Amen. Last thing I want to mention to you today is something that's coming up because of who we are as a church. Um, The Lord has confirmed this recently, and um, this past week we decided that uh, even though it's super soon to be doing this uh, as far as this year goes and planning, uh, he confirmed it through some prophetic words and, and some other things through different people. Um, but we decided that at the end of July, starting at the end of July, we're going to do some revival nights in our county to help bring freedom to people, to not just have freedom in this place on Sundays, but to bring the kingdom uh, around our county. And so coming up, uh, starting the last weekend in July, which is only two weekends from today, we're going to do revival nights. And there was a prophetic word given about, about Ripley, Ohio. I'll probably tell you the story more uh, next week. Um, but it was a dream someone had here, and they heard God say, start in Ripley and work your way up. And this culminated to a few weeks ago during a prayer session on, on a Wednesday where the Lord gave very specific direction about this is the year you're doing this now. And so um, these we're going to do three weekends, and the Lord said do two nights in each location. And so we're doing a Friday and Saturday night at Rankin Hill in Ripley, uh, Friday, June 29th. July 29th and July 30th, Saturday. Fridays are at 6, 7 p.m. Saturdays at 6 p.m. Uh, the next weekend, we're going to be in Georgetown uh, doing revival nights at the Brown County Fairgrounds, uh, August 5th and 6th. And the next weekend, we're going to be good old hometown of Mount Orb doing revival nights uh, Friday night, August 12th, and Saturday night, August 13th. Similar to our Church in the Park services that we've done in the past, Um, but we are just going after everything. (laughs) We are going after salvation. We're going after healing. We're going after deliverance. We're going after miracles. We're going after baptisms, fillings of the spirit. And we're going after people who are not a part of our church. Amen. That's what this is about. And so these services will be our church services for these weekends. We're not gonna have church on Sunday on these weekends, right? So we'll have church next Sunday here. And then the next three, we're gonna be, a church on the move, and we're going to be bringing freedom. We're going to be being free people, bringing freedom to people to set captives free. And so we're super excited about the Brown County Revival Nights coming up this summer. Anybody excited about that? Super pumped.